0: Good morning, family. Thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Robbie, and I'm one of the pastors here at Faith, and this morning we are going to take some time to talk about uh, everybody's favorite topic, confession. I think it's kind of a bummer that confession gets a bit of a bad rap in the church. Um, it's, It's actually more natural, oddly enough, for unchurched Folks, because uh, they never learned what uh, many of us learned in the church that you're supposed to pretend like you never make any mistakes, right? So the idea of talking about what is wrong and sharing things can often come more natural for people who have spent most of their life outside of the church. Also, new believers just tend to be more acutely aware of their own sin and their need for a savior. And And for many horrible reasons, the more time we spend in the church, often the more that attitude and that awareness takes a back seat as we just grow more accustomed to churchy activities. Church folks also carry around all sorts of baggage based on the church environment that you grew up in or spent most of your time in. So depending on your church background, you don't love talking about confession because maybe... For you, it conjures up ideas of being in a small, dark compartment with someone that you can't see telling you what you need to do for penance. Or, for others, you want nothing to do with confession because uh, that's what people in those other churches do, and we don't do that around here. But the reality is, you cannot read the Bible and not see the importance of, the necessity of, even, of sincere biblical confession. And so we're going to look at one particular passage this morning that I think is a pretty stunning example of it. So turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to read basically the entire chapter, just this very heartfelt prayer of confession. We're in this series where we're talking about how to pray Scripture, and this is an excellent exercise in using Scripture to pray prayers of confession. So Daniel chapter 9, I knew that's where we were going, so I have a bookmark. You probably don't, so I'll give you just another second to find that. And we're going to start in verse 3. And this is Daniel speaking. He said, Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so he's physically preparing himself. For this prayer of confession. These are, these are acts of mourning. As I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for, for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O oh our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand the importance, the beauty, the joy, the worship that is in confession. Help us to see in your word and in our hearts the truth of this and to delight in it as a gift from you. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. So I have four aspects of confession that I want to talk about this morning. The first one is we confess with fearless honesty. With fearless honesty. If you... Noticed in here, as we're reading, and hopefully you did, Daniel does nothing to minimize or explain away his own sin or the sin of his people. There's no, I'm sorry about this, but if only our leaders had done such and such, or if only my spouse was not like this, or if only my circumstances were different then, you know, but I'm sorry, but, you know, you understand. No, no, he takes full responsibility for this. He is offended by sin, his own personally and his people's sin most of all, which is saying something kind of extraordinary because Daniel is praying this prayer in a rather extraordinary context. He is currently the prisoner of the wicked nation that has destroyed his homeland and enslaved his people. But he's more concerned with his own sin. He's more concerned with what he has contributed to the problem and what his people have contributed to the problem than he is the sin around him and the circumstances that he finds himself in. Which I think makes a fairly important point. That I, I will never know that I truly hate evil until I know and acknowledge and hate the evil in my own heart most of all. Right? It's easy to be offended by the evil in someone else. But, but I will not know that, I, that it's really evil that bothers me, that it's really sin that I am offended by, until I am first and foremost. I know, acknowledge, and hate the evil in my own heart and my own life most of all. Jesus demonstrates this in a parable in Luke 18, where he says, he also told this parable, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, Would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, the simultaneously hilarious and heartbreaking irony is how often people read this parable and think or even say thank goodness that I am not like that Pharisee who is so thankful that he is not like other people. Did you catch that? You literally just did the thing. Right? I read this and my heart is so prone to be like the Pharisee rather than the tax collector that I do to the Pharisee exactly what he just did to the tax collector, right? Thank you, God, that I am not so judgmental of other people like that Pharisee who is judgmental of other people. When we think like that, we're doing the thing right there. And because as long as I remain concerned only with the sin of everyone else, I cannot truly be said to be one who hates evil, who is offended by sin. Rather I'm really just one who loves my own self-righteousness. I am I am happy that I am better than that other person. Right? At best it might be you might be able to say that I love justice. Right? But a that's only actually true if I equally love receiving justice as much as other people receiving justice, which typically that's not how it works. It's I love watching other people receive justice and hope that I receive mercy. But also, as Jay preached last week in Micah 6, what did God tell us? Because he has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We're not commanded to love justice and get excited when other people receive it. We are commanded to do justice or to act justly towards others and to fight for the justice for others to receive it, to to work against injustice, right? And to love mercy, right? That word kindness is such an amazing word. It's translated all sorts of different ways, and every word that it's used to translate is awesome. Sometimes it's kindness. Sometimes it's steadfast love. Sometimes it's mercy, But suffice it to say, it's an amazing word and that is what we are supposed to delight in. We would delight when we see others receive steadfast love and mercy and kindness just as we would hope to receive that ourselves. Daniel is absolutely honest about his own issues and the issues of the people closest to him. We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. We want to confess with fearless honesty. And we want to confess both individually and corporately. What does it say? It says, we have sinned. Sin is mine because it starts in my own heart. And it is ours because we are all equally affected by it. We are all the weak link, and we are all in this together. While our tendency towards self-justification can make us feel like that person's sin is worse than mine, from God's heavenly perspective, rebellion is rebellion. Quiet or loud, whether you are pulling the trigger or throwing the brick or simply harboring contempt toward that other person in your heart, Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount says that from his perspective, it's all the same. Because it's the attitude of the heart that he is most concerned with. And being better at lying to people and hiding what is actually going on in your heart does not make us more righteous. right? The attitude of our heart is the problem. And so the only difference between the one who hates and the one who murders is that the intent of their heart is made visible in the murderer. We can all see. It's not only God that can see the intent of the heart. It's made visible. But from Jesus' perspective, if that intent is there, the sin has already been committed. We are truly in this together. Daniel prays throughout this whole prayer, we, us, our, just like the Lord's Prayer, which we spent the last six weeks going through. No one is God's alone. We are His together, or we are not His. So we must confess and repent of our individual sinful acts and attitudes, and we must confess and repent of acts and attitudes that we share as faith church, acts and attitudes that we share as American Christians, acts and attitudes that we share as the global church in 2020. In taking responsibility for our own sin, it allows us to feel genuine grace and patience towards others, even at their worst. My prayer for the last month, at least, has been that God would, would allow every detestable thing that I see in someone else be a mirror into my own heart that he would help me to see where those same attitudes are working themselves out in different ways in my own life, that I have allowed myself to feel different, maybe not better, but at least different than, than that person and their sin because their sin is working itself out in this way, but, but where is that same sinful attitude, where is that same heart idolatry working itself out in my life? And particularly, please, God, point them out in ways that when it's where it's working out in ways that the church has deemed acceptable. Right? It has been a humbling month for sure. I've spent a lot of time writing down how how often I see, when I just take a moment to stop and think about what is upsetting me in that person right now, it's been alarming and humbling to see how often I do the exact same thing. Not just the same heart idol that works out in a different way, but I literally, it even works out in the exact same way. I'm saying the same things. I'm complaining about the same things. I'm anxious about the same things. I have the same judgmental heart, and and, 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 and it's... It looks exactly the same way, or maybe it's my laziness and how I'm spending time poorly, but I'm doing the exact same thing, which is a very humbling realization. And the result of that is it's stirring grace in my heart towards, first of all, sinners who are in need of Jesus acting like sinners who are in need of Jesus. Right? I should have grace for someone who is not saved by Jesus being unable to act like someone who is saved by Jesus. I should have compassion. I should have grace. I should want to see Jesus radically transform their life by his gift of grace. And it also gives me grace for people who profess Jesus, but are acting in a way that he would find horrifying. Right? It stirs gratitude in my heart that God would choose to save sinners like that, like me, and like you. And just like everyone that I see on TV or read in social media, all of whom are much more like me and much more like you than unlike me and you. We want to separate ourselves and talk about how different that person is, how I would never do that, when the reality is we have much more in common in our sin than we do have things different. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Arguing over to what degree you have rebelled against God and broken the relationship becomes silly. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by what? By His gift of grace. By His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ alone. Because while we confess with fearless honesty and we confess both individually and corporately, we must confess on the basis of His goodness and not ours. Verse 18 in Daniel says, For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. This is the best news this is where it gets really good. Our confession is always declared in the context of, through the lens of, and saturated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I never confess or ask for forgiveness based on my own goodness because I have none of it apart from what is given to me as a gift from God. I never confess or ask forgiveness based on the promise that I will never do it again because that's nonsense. I almost certainly will. And even if by God's grace, He removes that sin or temptation or that habitual response from me, I will figure out a new way to sin against my brothers and sisters or family. But I confess and ask forgiveness on the basis of of the promise-keeping Heavenly Father and His mercy, His faithfulness, and His steadfast, relentless love, which never changes, never moves, and is not in any way circumstantial. It's not entirely true. It is based on the circumstance of Jesus and His act on the cross. But that's it. Nothing that I do or I have done can change what Christ has accomplished on my behalf, on your behalf, on the cross. For many of us, the problem is not acknowledging our own sin. For many of us, we have absolutely no difficulty whatsoever acknowledging our own sin. It is ever before us. We can't escape it. We can dwell on it far too much, and it can become crippling and discouraging and disheartening and defeating. We feel like we can never win. I just get up and then I fall on my face again. And the enemy loves to use this to whisper lies to us that God is so disappointed in you. Real Christians would never struggle in this way. No one must know about this. What would they think? You are alone. No one understands this struggle. No one else has this struggle. You are utterly alone. Lies. They are lies. They are lies from the lips of the enemy and the deepest pits of hell. They are lies. Because as those who are adopted by the Heavenly Father because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, those who follow Jesus because Christ has invited them to do so, while our sin absolutely should grieve us in the way that we should grieve any time we wound someone that we dearly love, our confession does not happen in the context of the courtroom or the interrogation room. Our confession happens in the context of the arms of a Father who has already declared His love for us and His acceptance of us. John says it in 1 John. He says in verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, it says, If we say we have not sinned, we make Him, God, to be a liar, and His word is not in us. But verse 9, sandwiched beautifully in there, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is His faithfulness, His justice, His mercy that is the basis for my confession, not my own ability to do better, to be better, to think rightly. It's entirely based on Him, which is why the author of Hebrews can say, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. It is His faithfulness. And so we do not confess on the basis of our own goodness or our own ability to com- improve, but we Confess on the basis of his goodness, his unchanging, lavish love and goodness. And fourthly, we confess so that we can worship more passionately. True biblical confession, radical, honest confession to our Father in the heavens and to one another leads not only to freedom, genuine, true freedom and healing, but also to passionate worship. James says it so distinctly, so uh, explicitly. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There is practical, actual healing that comes from confessing to God, confessing to others, to being fearlessly honest about where we struggle and where we fail, the ways that we have not, by things that we have done and things that we have left undone, not honored God. But not only does it bring healing, it stirs genuine, sincere, and passionate worship. One of my favorite examples is King David. David had full authority to make sure that the historians erased every record of that whole Bathsheba fiasco. Right? If you're not familiar with the story, David is the king of Israel, the greatest king that Israel had ever known and he sees bathing on a rooftop this woman Bathsheba and decides to bring her over to the palace. He commits adultery with her, and then in order to cover up his wickedness, he has her husband murdered and then is exposed. He is found out. And and as the most powerful king in Israel, he could certainly make sure that the historians don't include that. But not only does he make sure that it is included in all of the histories, but then he writes a song about it to be sung in worship by his people regularly. I know, right? It sounds crazy. But that's what we call Psalm 51 is David's confession of his sin that was intended to be a corporate worship song. Right? So imagine I finish this sermon right now and i wrap it up by saying all right everybody now we're going to sing a song about the time that i made that super judgmental statement to that member of our church ready take it away joe and joe comes up and says all right here we go remember that time that robbie was the worst like how awkward would that feel how strange would that feel like maybe even your your skin's crawling thinking oh my goodness is there a song about me but david does why would david do this Not to glorify the sin, but to glorify the God who is greater than it. To say, I don't have to fear this, because it's been defeated. It has been atoned for. And the more I expose that, the less likely I am to walk in that exact same sin over and over again, because the light shines into the darkness and exposes it and kills it so that it cannot grow and expand one of the most direct pictures of this is in Nehemiah. I love it. In chapter 9 it says, And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So There is another thing of confessing individual and corporate sins. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. And the Levites said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And another point says, Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra, the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, Or weep? For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our God. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why would confession lead them to that response? Because there is joy in being able to declare, This never had anything to do with my own perfection. It's all about Jesus' perfection. This never had and will ever have anything to do with my ability to love perfectly, but is an opportunity to put the perfect love of our Father on display. I am the most unworthy person that I know, and yet my Heavenly Father has made me worthy through Jesus, and He can do the same for you. That is worth singing about. As Jesus says in Luke 7, the one who has had more sins forgiven, who has had the greater debt forgiven, loves greater. And so in confession, we grow in our awareness of our debt, which grows our joy and our gratitude for its being forgiven all the more. So let's practice praying together. I'm going to pray a few verses of Scripture and then allow a few minutes for you, wherever you are, to pray out some confession to God for your own heart, your family, and and corporately as a church. And I want to pray a few more verses and then Joe and the crew will come up and we will celebrate and worship. O oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps, keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep your commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled turning aside from your commandments and your rules. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention. And act, delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name.